Hi, welcome to Glitter in the Dirt, your podcast for witchcraft, wellness, and womanhood. I am Michelle, your humble hostess, and uh, so we're going to start our number two episode. I'm pretty excited. Uh, forgive me for any shuffling sounds you may hear around me. I have a bunch of papers and books spread out as I was trying to gather things that I wanted to talk about today. So if you haven't already, please hit pause and grab yourself a little something to drink if you'd like. I am sipping on a lovely cold brew that I made with a cinnamon infusion in it, and it is delightful. Yummers. If you don't want to get something to drink, I'm not going to force you, but I like to have a little something. So we're going to talk about two things today. We're going to talk about the, our upcoming summer solstice, and we're going to talk about time. That's time the herb, not time the concept or passage. What is time? Okay, let's not get into that because I don't even know how to start talking about that. <clears throat> Excuse my little cough. So generally speaking, uh, summer solstice is observed in the northern hemisphere right around June 21st. It can be any time between like the 20th through the 22nd. It just kind of depends on, depends on, you know, the rotation of the earth and all that sciencey stuff that I don't get into because I don't entirely understand it. And that's a fun thing about me that you will find if you follow me on social media or if you know me from Which Way Magazine. Um, I am nothing if not honest about the fact that I am constantly still learning. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I know much. I'd say I've learned a lot and I have so much more to learn about everything. So please take everything I say with a tiny little bit of herbed salt and just kind of fold it into your day and then do your own research and form your own opinions. I'm only sharing with you what I've learned, what I've experienced and uh, what I hypothesize about. So back to summer solstice. Uh, this year it will be on the 21st of June here in the Northern Hemisphere. And this is a day or or a, a, a time or uh, what's the, I can't think of the word right now, uh, uh, an occurrence that has been observed by human beings since the Stone Age, if, if not before. <coughs> Sorry, I have a little tickle in my throat. Uh, and the word solstice uh, comes from Latin and um, sol, I think we all know, means sun. And um, stitum meant still or stopped. And that over time became solstice. So it was a time when it was perceived that the sun held still in the sky. So it's also known as the longest day. Uh, Neolithic humans, they, they used these events to determine the best time to plant or when to harvest crops. I mean, the sun, it remains the source of just about all life. Without the sun, we have no plants and without plants, we have no food. And, and you know, you know how the, the food chain works. So even though we are so far removed from our natural cycles in our modern life, it remains that we should honor the sun, which for some of us is challenging because it's a very masculine energy. Uh, but I, I am a, a, a moon lover. However, I, there's no denying the power and the strength and the, the need uh, to have the sun in our world and in our lives. So that's what summer solstice is really all about. And I say summer solstice, um, it has a lot of different names. Uh, in Northern Europe, I believe it's called Midsummer. Uh, the Wiccans call it Letha or Midsummer. Sometimes I say Letha as well, just because it's not quite as much of a mouthful as summer solstice. 
Um, and the Christians even have a day for it, which they call it St. John's Day. And I think, I'm not a Christian, but I think it refers to the birthday of St. John the Baptist. Hit me up if you know if I'm right on that one. I'm not 100% sure. <clears throat> but I do find that that's a wonderful tie-in to uh, something that I have observed. And that is that um, as the Christian church came into power, they saw pretty quickly, they observed that these darn pagans loved their holidays and their festivals and their deities so much. And it was really hard to get these joyous people to into the fold of the Catholic church or, or the Christian church. I'm, not, I'm still not sure on the difference between the Catholic church and the Christian church. And I was raised Catholic. So that's something to think about. Maybe we'll talk about that on another podcast. My point is, is that basically, if you follow any of our Sabbaths, of which we have six, you'll find um, almost every time that there is a, we'll say Christian, for lack of a better term, tie-in to that. Um, probably the most obvious ones, in my opinion, are um, Christmas, which would be our winter solstice. Um, the traditions are so similar. And um, Easter, which is our Ostara. It, it is remarkable to me um, how bunnies and eggs got wrapped up in uh, the rebirth of Jesus. Again, it's another topic for another day, but I can't help but observe um, that I, I see it. It's just so very clear to me. So anyway, my point is, is that this is an important day um, all around the world whenever this hits. So um, in the Southern Hemisphere, this would be in December, right? pretty sure. Uh, anytime that, that you have an event like this, the people are going to notice. And it didn't take microscopes and it didn't take, you know, analog clocks and it didn't take a computer or, or my awesome Llewellyn's calendar that tells me when these things happen. They just knew because their lives depended on it. So as, as I've gone through and I've looked at historically how uh, this day was observed, uh, you know, in the ancient Greeks, interestingly, um, for them, from what I've gathered, is that this was the beginning of their new year. So for most of us in the pagan community, um, it is Samhain, that is our new year, it's the witch's new year. But for the ancient Greeks, this day of the longest sun was their new year. And they had the festival of Cronia, who was, um, the, the festival was for the agricultural god Cronus. Egypt, interestingly, it was also a New Year's observation for them, and it seemed to uh, align with a flooding of the Nile River, which is how they irrigated their crops. So it was a really integral part, a necessary part of their survival that they knew when this day was coming and that they felt that they should honor the deities aligned with that day to ensure a fruitful harvest. In China, again, we're talking historically, um, it was associated with the day of the yin life force, interestingly. Now, that's the feminine life force. As I mentioned earlier, the sun we associate with masculinity, but historically for the people of China, it was associated with the feminine. I don't know if that was the day or the sun that was associated with the feminine. I'd like to look a little more into that. And again, in pre-Christian Europe, um, it was hailed as the longest day. And one of the big things um, that they did, as you'll see, I'm so sorry, I have something in my throat. As you'll see in many of our pagan celebrations, were bonfires. And that was thought to boost the energy of the sun, again, to encourage more growth of plants, to be able to reap a larger harvest and sustain survival for their people. 
Uh, a side note, if you don't know, the word bonfire originated from bone fires. Uh, and again, we'll talk more about that at another time, but I just like pointing that out. Now, the Celts, uh, this was a, a really sacred day for them. And it was also a day that was tied in um, to honoring the goddess Anya. Um, it's spelled A-I-N-E. And for the longest time, I thought it was Ein, but it's apparently pronounced Anya. And she has a really interesting history that I'm not going to go into all the way right now, but some people think that she was a fairy goddess. Some believe she was uh, a descendant of the, is it Tawatha Danan? I, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, but again, on to other cultures. The summer solstice for the Vikings, interestingly, was a time when they would gather to resolve legal matters. And, and it, it makes sense to me because, it, um, you know, thinking about how far spread out they might be, knowing that that long day was coming would give them time to come in. It was a very easy way to mark the year in a day of gathering. And the Native Americans had so many rituals to honor that day. I can't even begin to go into them all. Um, in fact, I couldn't even find a lot of consistencies, only that it was um, a really holy day and that it was often observed with the things that we would anticipate um, being observed of Native American holidays. So there were definitely, um, I found references to sweat lodges and fires and dancing, but that's about all I could come up with in my cursory search for information. And the Romans as well, you know, what the Greeks did, the Romans did later. Um, they had the festival um, called Vestalia, and that was in honor of their hearth goddess, Vesta. Um, and on this particular day, um, unnamed, not, not unnamed, I'm sorry, unmarried women were allowed into this particular sacred temple of the Vestal Virgins. Um, and they were allowed to make offerings to Vesta. And I think that those offerings were to get themselves a man, but I'm not so sure about that. But um, also that kind of shone a light for me when we talk about Vestal Virgins, that harkens back to Vesta, this ancient Roman goddess. Uh, they also uh, paid homage to their goddess Juno on that day as well. Now, pagan folklore, let's take a sip of our drink, shall we? My throat is getting dry. In pagan folklore, it was suggested that evil beings would be out and out to cause havoc. Uh, now, some reports or, or some uh, theories I have read was that it wasn't evil beings, but mischievous fairies. Uh, some definitely thought that it was evil beings, kind of like the same that we see coming out on Samhain. Uh, but that is where it seems that one of our traditions of wearing floral crowns on this day came to be. They were thought to be a form of protection. So and I've said this before, um, you've probably heard me say it or at least seen me write about it, that floral crowns, although they became all the rage for hipsters recently and more power to you, I love them, keep wearing them. Uh, they really harken back to these really primitive and beautiful pagan traditions. And there would be different flowers used for different reasons. Uh, anyway, in this particular one, they were thought to be for protection against evil entities on this very particular day. Again, talking about our pagan ancestors, we uh, I can't not mention Stonehenge, uh, which is aligned with the sunrise on summer solstice. And to this day, thousands of pagans gather to observe this beautiful moment. And, you know, I had uh, the lovely opportunity this year in April to go to London and we visited Stonehenge and... Uh, you know when you know something is going to be amazing, but then you see it, and holy shit, is it amazing. 
it was one of those moments. We had this amazing tour guide and he, um, instead of taking us to, I hope I'm not outing him. I doubt it. I have like six listeners. It'll be fine. Instead of taking us to their official tour station where we would have paid, I don't know, 20 pounds to be able to get within like a hundred feet of the stones. Cause it costs extra to actually get to walk up to the stones now. Uh, he took us in this back route and we saw, um, what something it was called Woodhenge, which had been a smaller henge that, as you may have guessed, was made of wood. Um, so now all that's left are markers that have been placed where the pillars would have stood. It's a much, it's very close to Stonehenge, but I had never heard of it before. And then he took us through these, when I say roads, <laughs> I mean in the loosest possible sense, I'm totally air quoting the word roads right now. They were bumpy and limpy, and they were covered in potholes and mud because it was London in the spring. But we walked through this um, pasture up to a, a small barbed wire fence, and um, he, he must do it all the time because there were people walking around that he knew. And so we were uh, closer than we would have been able to get on the official tour, but still separated by a barbed wire fence, and I don't know. 50 feet. I'm not good at estimating distances. But the cool thing is we were there very early in the morning before any of the tourists had even gotten there. And I was able to, uh, you know, stand with my feet, although they were in boots, because it was very cold in this mud. And the mud is a, the mud was amazing. I have to wonder if they chose to put it there because of this gorgeous, I just wanted to one of my being in the dirt is one of my favorite things and I honestly wanted to strip off my clothes and just roll around in this gorgeous mud. I did not as it was as I said very very cold. But my point is uh there is a a power and a soothing quality that I found anyway at Stonehenge and um that has persisted for thousands of years since it was built. Um, and and so, of course, people still want to go there. There were people living on those muddy roads. There was probably six or seven caravans of people who I think are choosing to live as close to the Henge as possible. There's also some really interesting, I wish I had taken notes. We had this amazing tour guide. His name was Nick. And I think he has a blog. And if I can find it, I will link it in the comments, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to find it. But there is this gap um, if you're standing near Stonehenge and you look, uh, I think it's east-west, you'll see it's lined, the horizon on both sides is just lined with trees, right? Like miles out, trees. But if you look, there is a patch, like a gap, and I don't know how big it was, um, where there's no trees and nothing growing. And if you follow that in a straight line on the other side, miles and miles across these fields, there is a matching gap where nothing is growing. And it aligns with the henge. And my, uh, I think it was um, like an energetic bear, or like a, uh, what's the word? I, I, I should have written this word down because it's, it's eluding me. Um, they run around the world. Oh my God, why can't I think? You guys know what I mean. Um, I want to say rose stone, but that's not it. It's going to come to me in like five minutes and I'll shout the word out. Uh, anyway. It's a very powerful place is what I'm saying. And I wish that when that this year, that when summer solstice rolled around, I could be one of the thousands of pagans standing there in this very primal ancestral tradition. 
Also, oh, also in Egypt, as I mentioned, this was a really important day for them. And it has been discovered um, that if you stand, if you're at the Sphinx, if you stand in front of the Sphinx on summer solstice, that the sun will set between her shoulders. So, so interesting, very different parts of the world, but we're seeing some very similar architecture, we'll call it. Um, and it, it's also worth mentioning that Stonehenge um, was probably, a, or we think that it was probably built by the Druids and um, was a holy place for them. But we don't know much about the Druids, as everybody knows, because they were an oral society. So they did not write down their traditions. Um, and I, I believe there are still Druids in practice, but I don't personally know any. Anyway, uh, when we talk about the longest day, I should have mentioned this earlier. Here, where I live in Southern California, the daylight is going to last 14 hours and 25 minutes. And you're probably already feeling that. The days are getting longer. When we go to bed, I, we have a really strict bed schedule in my house. I have two autistic children and my bipolar ass needs lots and lots of sleep. So we usually go to bed around 8.30 and right now it's just twilight at 8.30 and pretty soon the sun will still be setting when we go to bed. Uh, it takes a little getting used to in the summer, but I love the, the long days. They are fantastic, despite the fact that I hate the heat. <coughs> summer has... Um, don't you find that, that there's like a, a, a creative and like a, a primal energy right now? And fortunately in Southern California, we have this thing called June gloom. Uh, so the sun doesn't actually come out until about three o'clock in the afternoon right now. But in about two weeks, right around the time of summer solstice, it's going to be hot as balls all the time. And I will be complaining about it all summer. But still, something that I have found is that um, as I have come to live in alignment with uh, the flow of nature, with the cycles of seasons, uh, in honoring the Sabbaths, which really guide you through the seasons beautifully, is that my body has fallen into alignment. So uh, whereas I physically don't enjoy summer because I don't like the heat, um, I get headaches, um, all, but still, actually going back, now that I think about it, in the last couple of years, my headaches in the summer haven't been as bad and I haven't been quite as uncomfortable as I normally would be. And I think that that's because I'm living in alignment with nature. And coming along with that is that my body knows what's supposed to be happening. So right now, my body is, is urging me to go outside and plant things. It wants me to create. I can't stop creating things or coming up with ideas. And, and I think, um, you know, I get a very, it's different from the feeling that I get at like late autumn, right around um, as we go up towards, I'd say from May, right after Maybon, I start getting hit with this, again, creative energy, but it's very different creative energy. The urge that I get uh, in autumn is to create comfort. It's like a nesting instinct. I want to cook. I want to make things, but the things that I want, I start knitting I and I don't really knit. I knit on a loom. I don't think that counts. It's one of those little round plastic ones from Michael's because I can't do it. But I have this urge to create comfort at that time of year, which when you think about it makes sense. At this time of year, I want to make medicine and I want to grow plants and I want to make art. And I, uh, I feel compelled to go outside even when I don't have anything to do. So... I just think that it's amazing when we allow ourselves to live in uh, in harmony with the cycles of nature, how our bodies find this beautiful alignment. Anyway, I know, I get a little sidetracked. 
Uh, but I think now I know that not everybody who is listening to this um, may or may not, I don't know, may or may not consider themselves a witch or a pagan or whatever word you want to put on it. But I think that those of us who do have an obligation to carry on these traditions that our ancestors did um, for for many reasons. One, I find it beautifully romantic um, and aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> but for much deeper reasons, I think we just we can't forget. We've already forgotten so much, um, especially what I'm going to talk about next when we talk about like natural medicine. These were things that everybody knew. This is now uh, an art or a craft when historically it was just some shit that your mom knew and taught you. So, and that goes the same with farming. It goes with handcrafting things. It goes with kindness. It goes with with community. I think that we are so far removed from the way that our ancestors lived. And I don't think that it's always for the better. So that is my <laughs> very long-winded way of, of saying that we should stop and observe these beautiful moments because they have so much to teach us. Now, traditions, talking about traditions. <clears throat> I think, as I said, bonfires, if you're going to be at a beach, why not have a bonfire? If you're going to be out camping, it's a lovely time to have a campfire. For me, um, I most likely will be home and I cook um, on all our Sabbaths. That is my most consistent way of observing these days. And it, But I don't just cook any old food. I'll make something special. And on this day, I will definitely be using my barbecue. It's as close as I can get to a bonfire. I live in a condo. I can't be putting a giant bonfire in my tiny little patio. So you could barbecue. You could have a bonfire if you're in a place where you could do that. You could um, spend time in your garden or go for a hike. If you live near the ocean, put your feet in the water. Just commune with nature. I'm so sorry. I'm going to cough. <coughs> I apologize. I'm really sorry. Um, oh, and I absolutely encourage you, if you can bring yourself to do it, to get up with the sunrise that day. Sunrise is a really beautiful gift on this very special day. And I would encourage you to also observe the sunset. Um, and you know, you've got 14 hours and 25 minutes in the middle of all that to do whatever you'd like to do with your day. Also a great day um, to leave out offerings for the fairies. The fairies are associated with summer solstice. Um, I was going to talk about it, but to be honest, I am not uh, a member of the Fae tradition, and I don't feel like I have enough information to speak really articulately to that. Hopefully one day, maybe I will get one of my girlfriends who is a big Fae person to come on and we can chat about that. So, but leaving out a little something for your fairies is a beautiful thing to do. Okay, now I also wanted to talk about time. And time actually has a fairy tie-in, so that's kind of cool. I didn't even think about that until right now. Look at me. Um, so, you hear my paper shuffling around? Um, before I get into that, I'm sorry, I do want to just talk about a couple of the correspondences, which was going to be my, my tie-in to time, and I didn't do it, but let's all pretend that I did. So, the colors that are associated with our summer solstice are white, yellow, blue, green, and gold. Uh, and these are really the colors that you're going to see. The gold, I imagine, is for the sun, but the rest are just colors that you see blooming around you since this is the time of all of your gardens coming to life. 
the herbs or or flowers or whatever um, that are associated with summer solstice are chamomile, lemon, lavender, <clears throat> thyme, mugwort, basil, and pine. Now there are more, there are definitely some one-offs, but these are the, the most consistently associated. Um, and now the deities associated with this day, should you feel compelled to honor a deity uh, on summer solstice, here are some that you might want to consider. Anye, as I mentioned, um, Helios, who was a sun god, Ra, another sun god, Astarte, Ishtar, Venus, or Aphrodite. These would all be appropriate, and there are tons of others that could be appropriate as well. <clears throat> um, for food, of course, um, mead, drinking mead. Um, if you don't have access to mead, I would say wine can do just as well. Honey, for sure. Honey's a big part of uh, the, the tie-ins between honey and summer solstice, um, the bees, pollination, etc., um, and honey is also one of the main ingredients in mead. Seasonal fruits and vegetables, obviously, um, and fresh herbs. So <clears throat> when you're cooking that day, if you're cooking that day, I would encourage you to use as many um, plants as you can because they are the... What's the word? Gosh, you guys, my brain is so stuck this morning. Uh, they just have such a beautiful tie-in and are the gifts of the sun, I guess, that they are this beautiful alchemy between our earth and the sun. And I think it's a wonderful day to, uh, every day is a good day for plant. But anyway, I think I'm babbling. Okay, the element, obviously the element of that day is fire. And stones, if you are a crystal kind of person, uh, emerald, jade, tiger's eye, diamonds, baby, malachite, which is one of my favorites, opal, which is my birthstone and another favorite, and um, lapis lazuli. All of those are stones that have been associated uh, with summer solstice throughout history. The lapis lazuli, I believe uh, it they were the stones that were used for the eyes uh, of the embalmed people in Egypt. Somebody let me know if I'm right about that. <clears throat> okay. And then on to time. Since that, I've been spending a lot of, I'm going to say this, I've been spending a lot of time with time lately. <laughs> uh, and my son has been sick. He got a chest infection and just had the worst cough. And when it comes to a cough, time is one of my favorite plant friends to invite and ask for help. Uh, time, uh, I think that the word, I've read anyway, that the word comes from a Greek word, thumos, which meant fumigate. Um, so it was definitely uh, an herb that was burned um, for purification purposes. And the reason I'm choosing to talk about time specifically also is it's really accessible and I find it to be a really reliable plant to work with and it's generally palatable to people. Uh, when we get into herbal medicine, I am find that a lot of the really effective remedies, uh, they taste like ass. I'm looking at you, L Campaign. I don't enjoy your taste, but I love your medicine. So thyme comes from what's called the Lamiaceae family, which is the mint family. So mint, spearmint, peppermint, basil, tulsi. <clears throat> so a lot of our uh, our cooking herbs are members of the Lamiaceae family. And the reason for that is that they have beautiful volatile oils, which are why they smell so good. So um, it's when you're using it medicinally, that's really the property you're trying to get uh, are, are the oils that, that steam off of it uh, in heat. And now in 
herbal medicine, um, whether it be Chinese medicine, uh, whether it be Ayurvedic medicine or Western uh, herbal medicine, they all have a practice of observing energetics. And that is um, kind of the feelings that go, and they have different words for it. And I'm, uh, I am not an expert on anything, but the energetics of time um, are that it is warming and it is drying. So it's, it, it certainly doesn't make you um, hot like a pepper does, but it does stimulate that warming. I generally, I interpret that as stimulating and drying. So um, I recently, I, <laughs> I made a tea recently that was really good and really effective, but I couldn't figure out why I was so thirsty. I was drinking quarts and quarts of it and I couldn't stop being thirsty. And it, when I stopped to look at it, it's because I wasn't observing my energetics and I had a bunch of drying herbs in there. So no matter how much I drank, I was always thirsty. Silly me. So the parts that we use of thyme um, are the leaves and the flowers. The flowers are fine. The herb generally tastes better if you don't let it flower. So I feel terrible, but I often pinch off those beautiful little flowers on my thyme. But you can totally, like if you want to snip off a bit to make a tea, you can put the flowers right there in it. And also, if you're using the fresh herb, I don't. I find that I don't need to strip the leaves off of the stem. I just put the stem in and everything is fine. But if you dry it, you will want to remove the leaves off of the stem because the stem is just stem at that point and it gets hard. Um, okay, now I wanted to talk about the medicinal actions of thyme, and I'm going to give you the um, technical herbalist terms, and then I'm going to try and explain them, because as I have um, become an herbalist, and I am still a fledgling herbalist, I'll be very clear about that, uh, a lot of the words were really overwhelming for me and, and difficult to understand. And I really want you to be able to understand um, what time can bring into your life. So let me give you an example of one of those very confusing words, anti-catarrhal. It, it is spelled even, it's, this, it, it's a bizarre word to look at, but basically what it means is that it is good for, for stuck, heavy phlegm. That's what it means. Um, it's an anti-inflammatory. I think we all understand anti-inflammatory, and it can be anti-inflammatory in so many senses. It can soothe inflammation in the lungs. It can be good for um, rheumatoid arthritis, which is a very swelly, um, wet kind of arthritis. Uh, it can be anti-inflammatory to sore muscles, and in the gut, it is anti-inflammatory. So it's it's a whole body kind of thing. It is antimicrobial. It is anti-parasitic. Um, it's also aromatic. Now, it's carminative, and carminative is an herbal word for good for your tummy. So tummy gases, bloating, gas, digestive upset, it's going to be good for that. Uh, it's an amenagogue, which means that it supports menstrual bleeding. Uh, it is uh, a relaxant. It's a very gentle relaxant. Um, it's respiratory support. It's antimicrobial. I already said that. Um, and it's a stimulating experiment. Or not... <laughs> Did I say experiment? I meant expectorant. Um, as I said with that anti-catarrhal, it's really good for getting phlegm out of your lungs, which is why I was using it so much with my son. And all, all I did, um, when I have a cold, I usually steep, um, I make a cup of tea and I throw thyme in there and I cover it while it's steeping. And then after about 20 minutes, I take off the lid and I inhale that steam as I'm sipping the tea. So I'm getting, because the thing is with thyme, it has to touch where it needs to heal. So 
or at least to get its maximum benefits. So you want to get that steam into your lungs where you need it doing its antimicrobial, anti-inflammatory, getting the phlegm out action. And I coughed. Um, so that's how I usually do it for my son. I just got a big mixing bowl and I put steaming um, really hot water in it. So you want to be careful if you're doing this with small children. And I threw some sprigs of thyme on and then I just made a little towel tent and I let him sit there and inhale for about about 10 minutes was as long as he was able to sit still for that. Uh, I think that 20 minutes is probably better, but take what you can get, right? And we did that for about five days and it was a humongous help for the cough that he had. And it, he seemed to enjoy it. So that's great because as we said, it's an aromatic, so it doesn't stink. It smells really good. And for a lot of people that warm steam, just steam alone will open up their lungs unless you're like me and steam makes you want to die. <clears throat> I don't know why that is. Now in, where was my note? Um, Oh yeah, Nicholas Culpepper. If you uh, study herbalism even loosely, you're probably familiar with the name. He's one of the more famous uh, Western herbalists. Uh, he was alive during the 17th century. I think he was in the first half of the 17th century. But he has a, he was quoted as saying that time was a notable strengthener of the lungs, as notable as one grows. Neither is there a better remedy growing for disease in children, which they commonly call chin cough. And chin cough was uh, a name at the time for whooping cough. And it remains a wonderful aid uh, in dealing with whooping cough, which is really, really contagious. Also, uh, when we talk about, you know, the, the many, many, many attributes of thyme, bees love it. So it's great to have in your garden if you're trying to attract pollinators. And, and there's also a lot of different kinds of thyme. Uh, I, I don't even know how many different strains that there are. Most of us, uh, well, creeping thyme is a lovely one. I just like it because it crawls along the ground. But uh, so all of the different types of thyme have different levels of the volatile oils that are in them. But as best as I can tell, they can all be used pretty interchangeably. But if you ever come across a new kind of time, it might be worth uh, doing a little research just to make sure you're going to get the same medicinal qualities out of it. <sighs> Coffee time. Sorry, everybody. So I wanted to see. Mm -mm -mm. I have a couple other things I wanted to cover and we're almost done. So it was time. I wanted to know where time came from because I knew that it was really popular in Greece. Uh, so it, it turns out it's a Mediterranean herb, and it was spread throughout Europe by the Romans, of course, um, and their soldiers carried it with them, and they put it into their bathwater because it was thought to promote courage in battle. And later, it seems that the Scots did a very similar thing, but they put it into their tea. But it was that same thing. It was supposed to imbue you with this, this uh, ferocity and this courage to go into battle. The Sumerians used it um, as an antiseptic, as we still use it as an antiseptic, because those Sumerians were some smart people. I will do another talk at another time about the Sumerians uh, and their goddess culture. And the Egyptians 
Egyptians, why can I not say that word today? (laughs) The Egyptians used it, um, it was one of the embalming herbs that they used. And it was also um, in Greece for the Romans, for the Egyptians, I assume for the Sumerians. Um, It was used um, in burnings. It was burned as an offering and as a purification herb, which is again why it hails from uh, its etymology would go back to the word fumigate because it was burned to purify uh, rooms, houses, locations, etc. And magically, I just wanted to touch on a couple of little things. Time, as I mentioned, um, is associated with the fairies. It's thought to attract fairies. So if you want fairies in your garden, or if maybe if you're making a fairy garden in your yard, I would definitely plant some thyme there. It's also associated with the divine feminine, which made me think back to that Chinese uh, observation of observing summer solstice as a day of the feminine. And then we find time as a tie into summer solstice. And I just think, again, I'm always astounded by these cross-cultural commonalities that we find when we go far enough back in history. Um, What else? It brings courage, as I said. So, and you can use it in your home. So when we talk about um, cleansing herbs, there are so many herbs that you can burn in your home that are not white sage. Uh, I know if you've followed me for any length of time, you know that I am adamant that we save our beautiful white sage. Uh, We do not need to be harvesting it the way that it is harvested right now for commercial purposes. So you can make your own smudge bundles or you can buy smudge bundles. Um, Apparently, actually, I just learned I'm so sorry that we're not supposed to say smudge bundles anymore. Um, Incense bundles, offering bundles, we'll come up with a good word for it. Anyway, you can burn sage in your home to dispel melancholy and sadness. So... um, which makes me think of um, the day after some, I'm going to get a little personal now and I'm going to try not to cry. Uh, The day after summer solstice for me marks the two year anniversary of my father passing. And so um, for the last two years, the approach of summer solstice for me is um, sad and it's such a joyous day. So it's, it's a really, um, it's a dichotomy as everything in my life is. But now I'm thinking that I'm definitely going to burn sage in my home Uh, maybe on summer solstice, but certainly the day after summer solstice to kind of lighten the energy and lift that melancholy from my spirit. Also, uh, time is supposed to stave off nightmares. And it's not uncommon for people to make um, stuffed like uh, uh, pillows, like sleeping pillows stuffed with time to help with nightmares. Um, I've also read that, um, you know, we talked about the uh, Vesta and where else did I write it? The other goddesses. Um, You guys remember what I said? We had Vesta and we had Juno and we had Cronus, um, but other, we also have, flipping through my notes, um, Freya. It is sacred to Freya, I read, but I... um, I haven't, I've seen it in a few places, but I'm, I'm not sure how solid that tie-in is. I'd like to look into that a little more. Um, also, it was uh, burned as an offering for the Greek goddess whose name I'm about to murder. So hold on. Adephagia, I think. A-D-E-P-H-A-G-H-I-A. She was a Greek goddess of food and good eating. And when we, t- I mean, thyme is one of those herbs that... It's in like every recipe. It's 
almost every chicken recipe calls for thyme, but thyme is made, uh, you know, there's lemonade, there's candy, there's, uh, it's in stews, it's in everything. So, um, and that's how most of us know thyme now. We don't think of thyme as a sacred herb anymore. It's a cooking herb, but really it's both, which is pretty cool. So some uses um, for thyme. We have, you know, a cooking flavor, as we talked about. It's great for coughs, particularly bronchial, like bronchitis. It is um, being an antispasmodic, so it's really good for muscle spasms. Uh, it can be used as a treatment for vaginal thrush um, because uh, with candidia, it is antibacterial. Uh, it's also really good for insect bites, insect stings. It's great for lice and scabies. Um, going back to muscle spasms, as I said, it's good for rheumatic pain. It's also really great. It's a good aid for sciatica issues. It can be really soothing to ulcers. It's great for fungal infections like, um, like I think, ringworm. It's really good for ringworm, athlete's foot, um, worms, in fact. When, uh, when if children, you know how sometimes your cat or your dog will get worms? You can, it can be used for that. But it was uh, a really great remedy for children who got worms in their tummies. So it's definitely, it's just such a powerhouse plant. And I, I feel like we have culturally taken it so for granted as just this cooking flavoring. And I wouldn't say just, I am a kitchen witch. Like my herbs are super important to me, but I think it's so available um, and it seems so innocuous that uh, we don't pay it enough heed. So medis, oh, you know what else? Sorry, guys. It's also, I've read that it, um, it can be invited in to help with fibromyalgia and lupus. Um, and two of my best friends, each one each has fibro and one has lupus. And I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to bring wellness into their lives. Uh, so this is something, an avenue that I might go down. It's also great for strep throat as a gargle. So the preparations medicinally uh, are an infusion, which is basically tea. Uh, the longer you steep it, the more effective it will be, but you want to make sure that you cover it because it is those volatile oils that are released in the steam that you're getting the most powerful medicine from. So another way is a steam, as I mentioned. The essential oil can be used medicinally beautifully, especially topically for, as I mentioned, um, lice and scabies and ringworm and athlete's foot. Uh, it can be made as a syrup or an elixir to make it more palatable. It does tend to get a little bitter when it is steeped for a long time. So you might want to add some honey into that. It can also be made as a honey. So you can just infuse that beautiful medicine of thyme into honey. You can tincture it. Um, you can also make cough drops with it, which are really simple. And um, I think I'm going to be sharing how to do that uh, on Facebook Live for Which Way Magazine in the next couple of days. So you might want to tune in for that bad, bad, badness. I was going to say goodness. Y'all, here's the thing about this podcast. I am the worst with technology. So I guarantee you that I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say things wrong. I'm going to cough. You're going to hear pages slipping because I don't know how to take that out. So let's enjoy the rawness that is my podcast. <laughs> um, let me see. Is there anything else that I wanted to share? I think that covers just about everything that I wanted to share with you today. So summer solstice and time, these are wonderful things. And I really hope uh, that you enjoyed this podcast. Um, you probably know where you can find me on social media. I only use Instagram. You can find me as at glitter in the dirt. 
There's also a link um, in my bio on there if you wanted to go over and contribute to my Patreon so that I can keep learning and keep making and keep sharing. That's that's kind of my jam. And I think that's it. I have some really cool stuff in the works right now, but nothing that I can share. So with that being said, uh, I'm going to say goodbye and I hope you all really enjoy uh, this beginning of summer. I probably will be back right around summer solstice to share some more thoughts and uh, let's all be better humans. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Yes, 